<clears throat> All right. You know, Satan tries to hinder and interfere and get in the way of stuff, doesn't he? I just, we've been getting, Ben and I have been looking at our phones because we've been getting texts and messages and all that kind of stuff saying, YouTube is not working this morning. We, we wanted to get on YouTube, which we've done because it seemed to be a more stable platform. Uh, but for some reason, YouTube uh, is not working as far as our live stream feed is concerned this morning. So um, Facebook is the only option. So hopefully people will find us there on Facebook as well. All right. Um, also, one other prayer request. Uh, Mark starts a new job tomorrow, so he shared that with us on Wednesday night at uh, the business meeting. Uh, so if you pray for him, I'm sure he would appreciate that. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is. He can tell you if you talk to him afterwards. It's not a secret or anything, but uh, just uh, give you an opportunity to find out from him uh, what he is now endeavoring into. All right. Well, um, somebody told me yesterday, I'm really excited about your new series, Pastor. It's going to start tomorrow, right? Well, we're actually going to continue an old series, sort of. Um, we're we're, we're going to call it Summer in the Psalms, okay? Uh, so we're going to spend some time. We've been spending time in the Psalms. We're going to spend a few more weeks in the Psalms. Um, and we're going to take a look this morning at a fairly familiar psalm. Um, it's a psalm that was written. Um, well, let me tell you this. It's called a penitent psalm, okay? Uh, and, and you might wonder, well, what in the world is a penitent psalm? Well, it's a psalm that was written uh, as a result of God uh, revealing sin in the life of an individual. So as, as they deal with that sin, as they work through that sin, as they, as they try to uh, get things right with their great God, this is what is born out of a heart that is broken because of sin, okay? Um, and you might, uh, you might be successful if you guess who wrote the psalm because uh, you could just say David and have a pretty good uh, chance of getting it right because he wrote the bulk of the psalms. Not all of them, obviously, but he wrote many of them. So this morning, as we look at this particular penitent psalm, it is a psalm that is born out of deep remorse for sin. And then in the psalm, we're going to see a true confession of sin. We're going to see repentance of sin, which is demonstrated uh, by this individual. And then we're going to see the joy that results in the restoration. But before we do that, let me ask you a question, first of all, as we get started. Confession. We're going to use these words this morning, so I want to make sure that we understand what they are. What does confession mean? Um, Please don't tell me that it means that you go to a little booth and somebody opens or closes a car. I'm not sure. I've never been in one. But does something with a curtain and then you tell them the things that have gone on in your life and they tell you to do Hail Marys or whatever. Don't tell me that that's what confession is because that's not what confession is. But from a biblical perspective, nice and loud, what is confession? Cindy. Owning your sin. Okay, I'm going to use that phrase later on, owning, owning sin, yeah, okay, what else is confession? Agreeing with God, um, I'm sure Ben knew that before he came to our church, but we've said that many, many times, 1 John 1, 9, if we 
confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we think about confession of sin, we understand that we must agree with God about what our sin is. Okay, It doesn't just mean listing off the sins that we are guilty of committing, because that really doesn't mean anything. It's kind of like um, simply saying, I'm sorry, when you know that you've offended somebody or done something wrong. You know, I'm not a fan of saying, I'm sorry. I'm a fan, when we, ta- we taught our children that you can't just go to your brother or your sister and say, I'm sorry. Sorry for what? Sorry that you got caught? Sorry that mom and dad are going to punish you for whatever you did? No, you first of all have to admit what you did. We, we made our children go to one another and say, I did this and I, I, I know that I shouldn't have done that and will you forgive me? Now, the blessing is as Christians, we don't have to ask God for forgiveness because he has promised that if we confess, he will forgive. So confession is part of agreeing with what God says about my wrongful act, my sinful activity. Okay, so that's a good thing. What else might confession include, Barry? That brings us to the next word, repentance, okay? That word repentance is a, actually a military term, okay? Um, when, uh, when you are a soldier and you are listening to the, the commands of your, your officer and he says, retreat, fall back, what do you do? You don't continue going headlong into the, the danger that you're facing. You turn around and you go the other way. I think I've used this illustration before when I was in the, the marching band in junior high. Um, we had our, our band director, conductor, had certain, uh, an, he had a whistle that he brought with us when we marched in parades. And one, miss, one whistle, one blow on the whistle meant one thing, two blows on a whistle meant a second thing, and so on and so on. And when he blew, I think it was three times, he blew the whistle three times. We're marching in one way, usually right in front of the judge's parade thing. We would stop, we would do a about face, and we would go the other direction. And then when he blew the whistle again, we would stop, we would turn around, and we would start marching. So that's the idea. You're going in a direction away from God. And when you repent, you stop doing that, and you head in a direction to God. And that's a work of God in your heart to help you see your sin and help you see the need of stopping that sin by the grace and by the power that he gives to us. And then you start moving in the direction that he has called us to move in. And that's Christ-likeness. That's what repentance is. That's what confession is. So as we work our way through this penitent psalm, we're going to see that, yes, it is David. He confesses his sin and he repents of that sin. You might be wondering, just because you're a human, uh, well, pastor, what was the sin that David was so penitent about, so regretting that he committed in his life? And and there was one really, really, really big incident in David's life. You know what it is, right? It's David and Bathsheba, okay? David, uh, 2 Samuel starts off by telling you, at the time when kings went off to war, David was walking on the top of his house, on his palace. Now, the first problem with David is he wasn't where he needed to be. And it wasn't by coincidence that the the writer of 2 Samuel tells us that. 
that at the time when kings go off to war, where should David have been since he was the king? Off to war with his troops because he's the, he's the head soldier. He's the leader of the army. He should have been off to war, but he wasn't. He wasn't where he needed to be. He was in the wrong place. And so when he was in the wrong place, he saw something he shouldn't have seen. Now, seeing something that you shouldn't see is not a sin. Okay? We have these devices that we carry around with us. Okay? And sometimes, for some reason, I have no idea why, I'll get a text message. Sexy and single. I don't really care. Because I'm neither one of those. All right? I'm happily married. And I don't want any of this garbage that comes over my phone. And sometimes I'll look at it, whoa. Can you, you know, I, and I have to kind of figure out how to delete it without looking at it. Looking at it wasn't the sin. But if I go, huh, interesting. I wonder, that's the sin. When I begin to dwell on it and think about it and go back to it. Okay, so seeing something he shouldn't have seen wasn't the sin, but acting on what he saw became a sin. So David sinned, and and he continued to sin because not only did he lust after her in his mind, he called for her. He said, find out who that woman is. She's on such and such a house. She's upstairs taking a bath on the roof. You wouldn't think that that would be normal, but anyway, it was. And so she, she... he called for her, and she came. Now, there's a case to be said that she could have said no, and she could have said no. But you know what happens when you say no to the king, right? She probably would have, probably would have been the last bath that she took, all right? Uh, you know, because David was in that mind of not obeying God at that moment. So she came. They had inappropriate relations with one another, she got pregnant. Uh-oh, David's been going to be found out. So what does he do next? He calls for her husband to come up, who was where he was supposed to be, by the way, fighting for Israel and, and, and defending the people of the Lord. Uriah comes back from battle. He goes to the palace. He says, oh, king, what is it that you want from your servant? And David says, go spend time with your wife. Why would you call me back from the battle to send me to go spend time with my wife? That doesn't make sense. No, it didn't make sense. And Uriah was more noble at this point in his life than David. And he says, while the ark of the Lord and while the, people, the army of Israel is out in the field doing battle, I will not go to my wife. You would have thought that that might have rubbed off on David, right? It didn't. So what does David do? He compounds the sin. He gets Uriah drunk. Now, now that you're feeling no, no, no issues, no inhibitions, go back. Go be with your wife. In his drunken stupor, Uriah was still more honorable than David. He would not go. So he slept in the doorway of the palace that night. Next day, same thing. David tries to get Uriah to go back to his wife. No, I will not go. So David says, well, this is an honorable man. I can't, I can't make him do what I want him to do because he knows it's not the right thing for him to do. So I'll take care of it a different way. So he writes a note on the king's letterhead 
and he seals it with the king's ring, and he sends it back with Uriah, and the note said, put Uriah in the hottest part of the battle, and when it gets to a point where it really looks like we're in trouble, everybody else pull back and let Uriah stay there. What is David doing? He's committing murder. So he, and, and the, the commander of the army, he's okay, I don't understand, it doesn't make sense, but this is what the king says to do, so that's what they did. And Uriah died. So they send back word to, to David, uh, we have suffered defeat, Uriah the Hittite is dead. Okay, so David uh, spends a little bit of time feeling somewhat bad that Israel suffered defeat, and then he calls for Bathsheba, and he marries her. There, we've taken care of the problem, right? No, you have committed egregious sin before the one true God. And so the prophet Nathan, God sends the prophet Nathan to David, and he tells him a story about this guy, this poor man who has one little sheep, Okay, he feeds this sheep from the scraps of his table. The sheep sleeps with him at night. I mean, this sheep, his life is wrapped up in this one little sheep. Okay, and then there's the rich neighbor who has countless numbers of sheep. And a visitor comes to this neighbor's house, uh, and, and, and instead of taking a sheep from his own flock, he goes and he takes the neighbor's sheep, the one little sheep that this poor man has, he takes that sheep, he slaughters that sheep, and he feeds it to the visitor. Boy, David was ticked. Who would do such a thing as that? Surely this man will die. Nathan looked at David and he said, David, you are that man. David realized the seriousness of his sin. And thank God for Nathan. Because sometimes, even you and I get so caught up in what we're doing that we don't realize the seriousness of what we are doing and sinning against God. And God sends somebody along our path to say, hey, what you're doing is wrong, stop it. And we need to be thankful for those people that God sends along our way. And then, this is where we pick up Psalm 51. David realizes his sin. David is heartbroken. David is just torn up inside his heart. And so, we pick it up, Psalm 51. Timothy, is that on the screen for us to read together? I believe it is. So would you stand with me as we read together Psalm 51? It's a little bit longer reading, but we need to read the whole psalm because this is not a psalm that you can break up and do in in bits and pieces, okay? So here we go, Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. 
And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offerings. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. You know... Reading God's word is vitally important to the child of God. And may God bless our lives because we read his word together. Uh, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon our time in his word this morning. And after that, you can be seated. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you for the privilege that we have of reading your word and even of memorizing your word because that is a command that is found in the pages of scripture to hide God's word in our hearts. And we're told when we do that, Father, we will not sin against you. Uh, we often look for a way to live righteously and David was confessing his need to be righteous before you and so he declares in another psalm the significance and the importance of putting scripture to memory to reminding ourselves over and over again of how the benefits of Scripture bless our lives. Father, bless our time in your word, we pray. We ask that you would encourage us, that you would use your word to conform us more into the image of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So if you want more details about the story with David and Bathsheba and Nathan's conf confrontation of that, you can find it in 2 Samuel chapter 11 uh, and 2 Samuel chapter 12. Uh, and after David was confronted with this sin, he has two choices. Much like you and I, when people confront us with our sinful behavior uh, or the Holy Spirit reveals to us our sinfulness, we have two choices that we can make. Uh, the first option is you, could, you can ignore God's prompting in your life. David could have ignored Nathan's rebuke and continued on as if there was no problem between him and God. Or he could confess and repent of his sinful behavior and beg for God's mercy. David chose the latter, and Psalm 51 is the account of that confession and the work that God did in his heart and in his life. 
So we've recently, we just read the passage of scripture, so we're not going to read it again. But as we see here in verses 1 and 2, David calls on God for mercy. It's interesting that, God, that David calls on God for mercy. He doesn't call on God for justice. Because what would have happened if he asked God for justice? Yeah, God would have punished him. God would have dealt with him as he deals with sinners. But instead of saying, God, I'll accept whatever my just payment is, he cries out to God and he asks God for mercy. He calls to God. He says, God, please be merciful. That's a common prayer in scripture. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Okay, that's a prayer that you and I can pray. Not a prayer that Jesus prayed, but a prayer that that you and I can pray. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, because we are sinners. When we trust Christ as our Savior, there's nothing wrong with saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I am undone. Woe is me. And even in our lives after salvation, we still must confess and ask God for his mercy. So David calls for God to be merciful to him. And what does he base this on? Well, this appeal is based on God's loving kindness. God's loving kindness. He says there, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. This word loving kindness, it's an interesting word. It's the Hebrew word hasad, okay? And this word hesed refers to the loyal covenantal love of David's God and of our God. The covenantal love of the God of Abraham to the people of Israel. The covenantal love that God has with you and I. Because God, once we trust Jesus as our Savior, we have entered into a covenant relationship with the one true God. We understand or we know about his loving kindness. This mercy, this loving kindness is rooted in the very character of our great God. This loving kindness that David is appealing to from his heavenly father is a loving kindness that should bring great comfort and great hope to the child of God. Our God is a God who is marked by mercy. Mercy. We often talk about the love of God, and that is important for us to talk about. God demonstrated his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But Paul, in the New Testament, also talks a lot about the mercy of God, and the grace of God. The grace and the mercy of God, they go hand in hand. Grace is getting something that we do not deserve. We all like to talk about the amazing grace. We sing about it, don't we? God's amazing grace. But you know, the mercy of God is just as significant in the life of the child of God because the mercy of God is withholding from the child of God that which they rightly deserve. I don't know about you, but I don't want what I deserve. Okay? Because what I deserve is separation from God for all of eternity. The wages of sin is death. But... The gift of God, the mercy of God is demonstrated in the gift of God. The gift of God is everlasting life through Jesus Christ, his son. So David is crying out to God for mercy. This appeal to the unfailing love of Jehovah God was common in the Old Testament. Perhaps even more common for an individual in the Old Testament to cry out to God for mercy. They even had uh, in, in the law that a person could go and grab a hold of the altar, the horns of the altar, and ask for mercy. 
Don't give me what I deserve because I know what I deserve is not good. Might end up in my life being taken from me. It's common in the Old Testament and it's characterized with, by those who have a relationship with God and his people in this covenant relationship. Uh, they know how great, how gracious, gracious and merciful God is. So as a child of God in a relationship with God, we can ask God to be merciful to us. Thank you, God, for that privilege to be able to ask for your mercy. David also appeared to God's, appealed to God's loving kindness because he knew he was guilty. He knew he deserved just, just punishment for his sinful activity. He knew that because he was guilty of adultery, he was guilty of murder, he knew the penalty. What was the penalty for adultery? Stoning. What was the penalty for murder? If a man sheds another man's life, by man his blood should be shed. So David is guilty of at least two capital offenses. He should have been put to death, regardless of who he was. Didn't matter that he was the king. So he cries out to God for mercy. God, I need your mercy. I know what I've done. I understand the gravity of my behavior and I am wrong and I confess that to you. We also see in verses one and two, according to the array of your tender mercies, David is saying, God, I know how merciful you are. And they're not just mercies, they are tender mercies. And because of your tender mercies, will you blot out my transgressions? Blot out my sin. The, the array here talks to the multitude of God's tender mercies. Doesn't that bring you comfort that our God is a God full of mercies? He is a God who has multitudes of great compassion that he pours out on his people day after day. David knew that even though he was a wretched sinner, God still had compassion for him. God hadn't run out of compassion. God's compassion is not limited. In fact, it is unlimited. And the supply is available to his children if they ask for it. God's multitudes are many, 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 many. Like the sand of the sea, like the waves of the sea. On the, the come crashing in moment after moment after moment. God's compassion never fails. In fact, Lamentations chapter 3, we, talked, we read this on Wednesday night. Your, your mercy is new every morning. Your, your faithfulness never fails. Great is your faithfulness. What a great God we have who is full of mercy. So David says to God, he said, Would you blot out my transgressions? David knew the king of Israel. He was the king of kings. He was the most powerful king in the world at the time. And yet he knew that he needed to talk to the one king of all kings, the sovereign king, the king of creation, the king of glory, the king of the universe, the one true king. He cries out to the king of kings, if you will. And he says, God, would you blot out my transgressions? 
You know why he asked God to do that? Because as a king, you know, kings had a book. And in this book were the transgressions committed against them. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, if you read the book of Esther, you find out about the fact that there was a book of those transgressions committed against the, the, the king of Bab- uh, Persia. Okay, um, and, and the king was going through that book one night, and I'm not sure what he was going through it for, but he was going through it, and he recognized, realized, hey, there was something that happened in, a, in a, an act against me, an act of treason that was against, perpetrated against Xerxes, um, and Mordecai brought this atten- to the attention of the king as he was going through the book, and he said, I wonder if anything was ever done for this guy, Mordecai. So we know that in those cultures, in those times, those records were kept. David also knew that God kept a record of his transgressions. And so he prays to God. He says, God, blot out my transgressions. Blot them out. Take them away. This word blot out is described well by Walter Kaiser. He says this, erasures in ancient leather scrolls were made by washing or sponging off the ink rather than blotting out. Wipe out is therefore a more accurate idea of the word. Now, you might be saying, Pastor, what's on the easel? We didn't even think we had an easel left in our church, let alone a whiteboard, okay? Um, so, yeah, I, we're going a little old school this morning, okay? So I brought here a whiteboard. Can, can you see what's on the whiteboard? Can anybody read that? It says, lying, stealing, foul language. Sometimes I wonder why it is that the tongue is the last thing converted in a Christian. You know, our heart has changed, our mind has changed, and yet we still use the same curse words, and sometimes we still struggle with things that we say. When God saves us, he saves the tongue as well as the rest of us. So foul language, pride. Hatred, division, what are these things? The Bible says in Proverbs, there are six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination unto him. Most of them are listed here as, as part of the things that God hates. So anybody tell a lie recently? You don't have to raise your hand because remember, we're not talking about that kind of confession. Um, no, anybody steal something? Anybody use that foul language? That's just a regular part of your vocabulary. Anybody have pride issues? And again, that's not necessarily the way we use pride today either. Um, How about hatred? You know, the Bible says if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. Division. Sometimes we cause division in in, in the body. We don't even intend to, but sometimes it happens. So uh, anybody that's told a lie, would you like to have that lie taken care of? It's gone. It's gone. Not there anymore. How about, how about this one? Let's get rid of that. Seems to be sometimes a problem in churches. Oh, it's gone. It's, it's erased. This is the idea here of when David says, blot out my transgression. You can't even tell what was there now. It's gone. It's not there anymore. It's been dealt with. It's been satisfied. Our sinful behavior is cared for by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's gone. No more to be found. 
That's what David is asking God to do. Blot out my transgressions. Wipe them away like they've never happened before. You and I who live on this side of the cross have the experience of knowing the shed blood of Jesus Christ has paid for the penalty of your sins and my sins and the sins of mankind. So when we confess our sins, God hears our confession. He wipes away our sin, not with a cloth, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's what takes away our sins. Never again to have to be dealt with. Buried in the depths of the deepest sea, separated as far as the east is from the west, we have no longer sin to deal with. And that's when we do, we sin on a daily basis, we confess that sin and God deals with it. Praise God and thank you, Jesus, for what you have done and made possible in my life. You and I can pray the same prayer that David prayed. Blot out my transgressions. Not because we're the king of Israel, but because we are a child of God. Forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. David also asks about, or he asks for absolute cleansing. So we're on letter C here now in your note page. According to the array of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. And now he asks for absolute cleansing. God, would you wash me thoroughly from my iniquity? Would you cleanse me from my sins? David realized that his sin was grievous before God, and especially after being confronted by the prophet Nathan, he understood that he was sinful. He didn't try to deny his sin. He knew that he had transgressed before his holy God and that he was like a dirty rag. He was was sinful. And as much as he might have tried to deal with his sin and get rid of his sin and cover up his sin, he couldn't. Yeah, you know when you do an oil change? How, how many rags do you use when you do an oil change? I, I don't know about you, but I do a lot. I use a lot. Especially if I, if I spill something on the, on the ground or on the floor after I, and I try to clean it up with my rag. You know what I do? I end up spreading it. I can't clean it. I just push it from one spot to another. So I have to get lots of rags. And then I've got these dirty rags. What am I going to do with them? My wife won't let me put them in the washing machine. I can't just throw them in the, in the bin because if it gets really hot, it could... Push. So what do we do with them? I don't know. God, doesn't, God, God says your sin and my sin are like filthy rags. It's hard to dispose of them. But God has a solution. He washes him with the blood of Jesus Christ. Cleanse me from my sin, will you, O God? Wash me thoroughly. Anybody Shakespeare fans? I like Shakespeare. Lady Macbeth. Remember after she was guilty of killing somebody? She says, can all of Neptune's waters wash this blood from off my hands? She was going nuts because she knew she was guilty. The, the, the murder that she was guilty of was eating away at her and there was no way she could get away with it. She thought she had committed the perfect crime. Nobody can find her out. But it began to eat her up and tear her apart on the inside. 
Can all of Neptune's waters wash this spot from off my hands? No. Can't happen. Lady Macbeth was hopeless. She was helpless because she did not turn to the source for cleansing. David, however, had hope. And he cries out to the one true God, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. That idea of being cleansed from my sin. David knew that he could only be washed if he went to the very one who is the righteous judge. He did not plead his case because he knew he was guilty. Instead, he asked for mercy and forgiveness. Mercy and forgiveness is an appropriate request for a confessing sinner. When God forgives, he still remains just and holy because the blood of his holy son was the payment for the sin that is being washed away and forgiven. One songwriter put it this way, The cleansing stream I see, I see, I plunge and oh, it cleanseth me. Oh, praise the Lord, it cleanseth me. Cleanseth me, it cleanseth me. The, plun- the, the cleansing stream, what a great reminder, what a great illustration. We sin, we plunge that sin, we plunge ourselves before the cleansing blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. And because of who Jesus is, we are cleansed from our sin. Well, we see in verses 3 through 6, David's confession. David's confession. What does it mean to, to confess? We've talked about this a little bit. Uh, first of all, confession is the acknowledgement of our sin. As we've seen over and over again in this psalm, David acknowledges his sin. He, as Cindy said, he owned it, if you will. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't excuse it away. You see, you can't deal with sin in your life if you don't acknowledge that sin. So the first step was acknowledging the sin in his life. Then he could begin to deal with it. David said, my sin is always before me. This is an expression of David's guilt, his agony, and it resulted that, that resulted from his sinful behavior. David knew how sinful he was and it was before him all the time. He couldn't get rid of it. It was consuming him. Isn't it nice for God to remind us that our, if we confess our sins, he will forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why confession of sin is not just listing our sins, but it is agreeing with God about what our sin is. So we acknowledge our sin. David also admits that he has sinned against God. David knew the worst thing about his sin was that it was against God. Not that he murdered Uriah, not that he committed adultery with Bathsheba, Those were bad and those were against other people. But David said, my sin is against you, God, because God is the one who set the standard. And David fell short of that standard. He transgressed that standard. He broke God's law. David was not saying that his sin didn't impact or affect anyone else. He knew that his sin was with Bathsheba and against Uriah and even against the nation because he wasn't where he's supposed to be. But he said, God, I have sinned against you. And you only have I sinned against. We do well to realize that when we sin, we're not just hurting other people. But our sin is indeed against our great God, the one true God. You see, it's in part of the psalm that we see David's confession of sin. And we can benefit from knowing how David confessed So that when we sin, 
we see that we need to confess and we follow the example that he set. So what we have here next is an anatomy, if you will, of confession. What does confession look like? Well, you agree with God about sin. David said that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. You see, God hates sin. You realize that, right? God hates sin, and he always deals with it appropriately. You see, when a child of God sins, he or she must agree with God about the sin that they've committed. When we agree with God and admit the terribleness of our sin, confession begins. It opens the door to become right with God. When the child of God does not agree with God about his sin, you know what happens? Fellowship with God is broken. It remains broken. Communion cannot be enjoyed with the one true God because your sin is always before you. David wanted his fellowship restored. So he agrees with God about his sin. David could have said to Nathan, Nathan, who do you think you are? I'm the king. Don't you understand that? God made me the king. I could kill you for this. And and believe me, Nathan knew that that wasn't above David because he had just killed Uriah. But David didn't. David took the words, took the rebuke, and said, yes, God, I have sinned. Sometimes when, when sin is confronted, the one who brings the sin to the attention of another is looked down upon, not appreciated. Even sometimes the friendship can be severed because of that. But David acted appropriately. He agreed with God about his sin. He wanted his fellowship with God, his communion with God to be restored. So he agrees with God about his sin. And then he realizes he is prone to sin and disobedience. David was not excusing his behavior here. He was admitting his human frailty. And he was seeking God's help and declaring his dependence on the Almighty to help him live blameless. God, I, I seem that every time I try to do what is right, I do what is wrong. Paul said the same thing. I, I, the, the more I try to do what is right, the more I do what is wrong. The more I don't try to do what is wrong, I can't do what is right. And he was frustrated with it. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? That was the conclusion Paul, Paul had when he realized he couldn't stop sinning, he couldn't do what was right. Oh, wretched man that I am. David is in the same boat. I can't stop doing what I know is wrong and I can't start doing what I know is right. God, I need your help. He realizes that sin makes him impotent as an individual before God. And then he also understands that sin cannot be hidden from God. He he said in the psalm, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. God, you want me to do what is right. You have required that I do what is right. Remember the question that Micah asked? Micah 6 eight. what is required of a man? But to do right and to love justice and to walk humbly before our God. Sin cannot be hidden from God. And God wants us to do right. God wants us to do what is... You know, sometimes I have to remind myself, I, I, you know, it's foolish for me to think that I can hide sin from God. God sees everything. God knows everything. So when we confess our sins, we're not telling God something he doesn't already know. He is fully aware of it. And when I am willing to go to him and confess my sin, 
it helps me understand the, the seriousness of what I have done. David refers to these inward parts and these hidden parts. He's referring to something that is clouded over, something that's not possible for anyone but God to see. Nobody can see my lungs. That's a good thing. Nobody can see the organs inside of our body. He covered them with skin. But David says, in my inward parts, you know what I am like. You've seen them, even though nobody else sees them. The Lord's penetrating gaze is able to search the heart and the mind and reveal those hidden areas. David knew that and he needed to repent. He knew that only repentance would begin the restoration process. Repentance and turning from sin with God's help. You know, sometimes we get stuck in this thing of sin that is over and over and over and over again in our lives. And no matter how hard we try, we can't stop it. We need the power of God to free us from that sin. Whether it's pride or arrogance or divisiveness, or whatever it might be, lying, stealing, adultery, whatever. We get stuck in these sins and in our humanity, we don't have the power to, to free us from our sin. That's why it requires God's work in our lives. Again, we see in verses 7 through 9, another call for cleansing. David cries out for cleansing. He says, purge me and wash me. In other words, reclaim me, O God. Reclaim me from my sinfulness. In reality, David was saying, unsin me. Now, I know that's not a word, but that's what David is asking God to do. Unsin me. Take the sin away. It's a reclamation process. When something is reclaimed, it is brought back to what it once was. Here's the definition of purge me and wash me. To recover in a pure or usable form from refuse, discarded articles, etc. Or to bring back to a preferable manner of living on sound principles. A reclamation process. Anybody ever do that with a piece of furniture? You're out. I have a friend who posts on Facebook these things that she finds that people are throwing away. They don't want them anymore. She's actually working on a table right now. Looks a lot like our table at home. Um, no, no, the old table that we used to have at home. Um, she goes and she finds these things along the side of the road and she brings them home and she, she strips them all down. She takes them all apart and then she puts them all back together and puts a new finish. That looks like they're new. That's what David wants God to do. Make me new again. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me, making me new. Hyssop, he's purged me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. This idea of hyssop, it's a reference to a ritualistic cleansing required in the Old Testament. You see, David was not talking about being cleansed in a figurative way. He knew he was sinful. He needed to be cleansed from that sin. This cleansing included the examining of the heart and making it clean again. In other words, God, do whatever is necessary to make me clean again before you. Clean before you. It's like a child who jumps in the bathtub and plays and plays and plays. And then they say, I'm ready to get out. And what does mom do? Or, or grandma or grandpa comes up and they check behind the ears. They check in the places where, you know, just playing in the bathtub doesn't get you clean. 
you get the washcloth out and you start scrubbing a little bit. The feet, the bottom of the feet. Have you seen kids that run around barefoot all day long and how dirty their feet are? They get in the bathtub and they splash some suds around and they're done with the toys. They think, oh, I can get out now. Nope. Now you can get out. After you've been cleansed. After you've been made new again. Reclaim me was David's cry. Restore the broken relationship, David cried out to God. Restore that broken relationship. David could not sing songs of praise to his God because sin interfered. He couldn't rejoice in the goodness of his God. Sin had made a mess of his life and the sweet fellowship that he so often enjoyed that was part of his life was now gone. He couldn't make that music that promoted peace and quietness of heart. But once he confessed his sin before his God, he could ask for that broken relationship to be restored once again. Restore me to that sweet fellowship that we once had. Remove my sins from the ledger. He says, when when David says, hide your face, blot out my iniquities, really he's saying, remove my sins from the ledger. It's another plea for mercy. David knew that if God would look upon his transgressions, then he would have to face the real punishment for his sins. So he asks that this holy God to hide his face from looking at his sin. He repeats the request for God to erase or to blot out his sins. Again, the idea of making his sins no more. They're all gone. It's been cleansed. It's gone. You and I have the blessing of that kind of a relationship because we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Verses 10 through 12, we need to keep moving quickly here. David craved for God to make him pure. He says to God, Create in me a clean heart. Recreate something that only you can do, God. Make my heart clean again. That's what Paul was saying over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? He's a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, everything has become new. Only God can take a sinful heart and make it new. Spurgeon was profound when he said this. What? Has sin so destroyed us that the creator must be called in again? What ruin then doth evil work among mankind? I in my outward frame still exist, but I am empty, deserted, void. Come, thou, thou didst make man in the world at first. Lord, make a new man in me. Wow. I don't know that we could stand Spurgeon today. We'd have to dress him up a little bit and... And, and get some new talk into his vocabulary. But listen to what he says. Lord, make me a new man again. A new man out of me. Recreate me. And then he said, David says, renew me. David, David once had the vibrancy of spiritual fellowship with the Father, but sin had destroyed that. Sin had weaved death into David's life and stole joy from him. I think David could remember what happened to Saul. So he pleaded with God. He said, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. David knew that without the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's working in his life, he would be totally ill-equipped to live the kind of life God expects the child of God to live. Aren't you glad that we don't have to worry about that today? God said the Holy Spirit is within us and will never leave us. 
He sent the comforter. And then restore me. Give back the joy that I used to have. When repentance is real, real restoration can take place. See, what David wants here is God to give back to him the joy that was missing in his life, the joy of his salvation, the assurance of the Holy Spirit's continued work in his life. There's a threesome of pastors that write songs and sing songs. Phillips, Craig, and Dean, they wrote a song at the end of the 90s called Restoration. I think they got a good handle on what that means. They said, looking at this fallen race, standing in the light of grace, we can't see the shadow of the past, build blind, building our security. Truth has lost its identity. It sounds like the 90s are here again, huh? Okay. Building our, blinding our security. Truth has lost its identity, but there's still time for us to get it back and take time for self-examination. We need to be baptized in salvation. You know what? Every one of us have known the experience of trusting Christ as our Savior. If you're here this morning and you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, you can't ever hope to have the joy of salvation. What we need is this idea of being born again. And then the song goes on to say, twisted in this awful mess, swimming in our own success. That's today. People got it all figured out. They know how to make money. Swimming in our own success, watching as the truth just fades away. I, I often tell people that if, if my grandfather could come back to life today, he, he was born in 1912. If he could come back to life today, he would be mortified. He would say, send me back, I, I don't want this. The truth is fading away from before our eyes. People don't see it, they don't understand it, they don't want to hear it, they don't want to know about it, they don't want to talk about it. The song says, it's time to put our faith to the test. Let our souls be undressed and show the world we mean what we say. As a child of God, we must not just talk a talk, we must walk the walk. It's clear to see from this song, and even more importantly from the scriptures, that this restoration can only come through the work of the one true God. The creator of all that there is and the creator of new life that comes when one trusts in Christ. We need restoration. And then lastly, in verses 13 through 17, almost lastly, we see David commits to praise God with a cleansed heart. Only once God has forgiven and the relationship has been restored can praise be given to the one true God. David tells us how he's going to praise God. He says, my praise includes my testimony to other transgressors. I will teach transgressors your way. You see, David was speaking from experience. He wants to help others see their need to repent so they too can be restored. Sin is bad enough, but if we, if, we fall, if we fail to allow God to use us after he has restored us, we'll be missing out in service for him. Confess that sin and let God use that in your life. When you've delivered me, my tongue will sing your righteousness and my lips will speak forth your praise. In other words, David says, you won't be able to keep me quiet. Once you've restored my relationship with you, I'm going to tell everyone. They're all going to know what you've done in my life. You're going to hear about it day in and day out. You won't keep my tongue silent. And then he tells us the test of a cleansed heart. God is praised with obedience, not with sacrifice or burnt offerings. David said, you, desire, you do not desire burnt offerings. 
You see, somebody who is full of pride and arrogance and refuses to follow God's ways, but then goes and makes an offering without a change of heart, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't accomplish anything. We must have that broken spirit that prompts us to go to God and say, God, I need your help. Only you can do this. A contrite heart. The word contrite here means to be broken or crushed. As when bones are broken or crushed. You see, David says, I want my heart to be broken so you can rebuild it and make it new again. David was overcome by his guilt. He knew the only way to deal with it was by trusting the one true God. Going to his maker and his friend and confessing that sin. And then in verses 18 and 19, we see David communes with God for blessing on the nation. For the nation, he asked God to bless the nation. David knew that as the king, he had great influence on the nation. Many of the kings that followed David proved this out. As As the king went, so went the nation. I'm not going to make any comments on that. As the king went, so went the nation. David knew that if he did not repent and get his life right with the Lord, the nation would suffer greatly. Can I say this, though? That if Christians in America today would repent, would confess, and get their life right with God, we'd see a difference in our country. If we started living the way God calls us to live as Christians that would rub off on others and it would make a difference in our nation. David asked God to bless the nation and he knew that if he turned from God, that the nation, or turned to God, that the nation would turn to God. They would follow his lead. They would follow his example. This penitent psalm of David is a great example for one that was sorry for his sins, one that responded the way God would have him respond. It's a great example for us today because we sin and we need to be like David. We need to confess, we need to repent, we need to go to God for forgiveness. David pleaded with God for mercy. He confessed the sin before his holy and just God and he asked God to cleanse him and to make him pure so that he could do what? So he could continue to serve his great God. He could tell others about the amazing God that he served. What a great reminder that we have from this man David in this psalm. Lots of people like Psalm 51 because it reminds us of how open we must be before God and how how blessed God will make us if we follow this pattern for confession and restoration. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for the example that David set that of confession and repentance and seeking your blessing in our lives after the relationship has been restored. Father, you know our hearts. You know where we are with you. You know the work that your Holy Spirit needs to do in our lives and only you can do through the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, Father, if there's confession that needs to be made, if there's repentance that needs to take place, we ask that you would help us to, 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 to do that, to seek out your will for our lives and to allow you to do the work that only you can do by blotting out our transgressions. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for the relationship that we enjoy with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.